0: Good. How should we introduce Phil? Um, with, uh, I think we can start off with the wokeest white guy we know. <laughs> um, hold on, okay, okay, so. so should we introduce Hello, this is another session of PhD this. this is Dr. Liz. And this is Dr. Zine. And today we have a very special guest for a lot of different reasons. One, this is the first um, male that we've ever had on our podcast. First
1: dude, except unintentional dude. friends in the backyard, in the background, anyway.
0: <laughs> so first dude, first um, yeah, dude. I was gonna say like chromosomes, but that technically doesn't mean yeah. you're a man. We're more advanced than that. Yeah. Um, but he's also the wokest white guy that Zion and I know, and. Uh, and that in itself is really awesome and really interesting.
1: Yeah, and then um, when I texted him this right away, and he's like, yeah. Is this a <laughs> Is it bad that I had to look up what woke was?
0: <laughs> so true. he's so woke, he doesn't even know what woke means.
1: <laughs> but so, anyways, um, his name is Philip Smith Burnham III. Thanks.
0: Uh, <laughs> really? I feel like that was a call-out. That was I know, crazy. well, this is
1: why I was initially very skeptical of Phil. I'm sorry. That's okay. With a name like that, I, think I know. You have to be. I know. I was like, "Who's this guy?"
0: Uh, like, he introduced himself as Phil. <laughs> I know, but
1: then like I think Liz, the, like, or so, I mean Erica, our boss, was like, "Oh, well, maybe the, your full name came out at some point. This is Phil." Yeah, it was during training.
0: You're skeptical of everyone you meet. That's though. very you true. You are skeptical of me, even like yes. anybody new, and you're just like, "They're horrible." I'm very, I'm very careful. That's all. And then like, okay,
1: Phil. For those of you who, do, who are not like seeing Phil this moment, he often wears a chain around his neck. He likes wearing his hat backwards. <laughs> he likes wearing his sunglasses backwards on top of his backwards hat. Oh, no, that's
2: very
1: rare. <laughs> he's been mistaken for being a frat boy um, as a grad student, but while well on call. While well on call. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but like what we're trying to bring is like I think like he's trying to create in the mind of our listeners like these series of contrasts that is Phil, um, and like. Anyway, our friend Phil is also a graduate resident fellow on West Campus in Beta House, the best house, and he's a physicist. And he's also the wokest white guy that the both of us know.
0: So we get comments from listeners a lot, and we, um, I guess we are both, Zion and I are both women of color, and in some ways that makes some of our a lot of our audience women of color, but that's actually not true. We actually have a lot of people who are not women or are not... Um, of color. And sometimes they have questions about how they can participate or how they can best support people. And that was when we thought to ourselves, like who's the wokest white guy we know. And you know, like who's the white guy that we know that we feel like we can talk to. Mm-hmm. And then that is how we thought of Phil or as Zion would like to call him out. Philip Smith Burnham, the third burn in the third. I don't know what I'm calling him. That is his name. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And so what we wanted to do today was actually to talk to Phil, um, to introduce you guys to to lovely Phil. And hopefully you'll get to know him and love him just as much as we do. And also um, offer some perspective to us. And and also be able to help people who listen to this podcast um, understand how to connect and relate to something that may not um, implicitly a community that you may feel like you're a part of.
1: Yeah, how do you be a good friend, and how to be a good ally,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. um, and how to be woke.
0: So, why don't we start off with this this idea of being woke. Um, so, I know, Phil, you mentioned, actually, let's even back up for a second. Phil, we have not given you any time. Whatsoever. To talk. Just,
1: yeah. no, Which is also <laughs> very representative <laughs> of a relationship, actually. That's I also tend to make fun true. of Phil a lot uh, for our, our <laughs> listeners, and he's, he's very good about taking it.
0: So, Phil, why don't you tell us like who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, so yeah.
2: I'll just start off by saying thank you guys for having me on the show and for all the <laughs> kind things you said about me <laughs> amidst the jokes. No. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm a graduate uh, resident fellow at Hans Bethe House um, with Zion and Liz, uh, f- formerly Liz. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I'm also a uh, graduate student in the physics department at Cornell. Um and uh, I don't know, I first, so should we jump right into it? Well, let me talk you about your, friends.
1: yeah, where you're from, what do you study, Okay. talk um, about your life, your short bio.
2: Sure. So I grew up in South Jersey and uh, went to school at Villanova after transferring from Rutgers. Um, and then I spent some time in Minnesota when my family moved there and came to Cornell three years ago, um, really got involved in, the, in bed, a house in the community here really found uh, a place I call home in Ithaca
0: um, I can't believe it's been three years for you I, I remember when it was your second year <laughs> oh my goodness a baby <laughs>
1: <laughs> and but yeah and what what you studied uh, yeah. so
2: you're um even though I'm in physics I uh I got really interested in biophysics when I was a, a first year and um started working in uh biomedicine actually when I uh when I was making the switch over. I uh, consulted with Liz to uh, <laughs> oh, see if it was a good decision. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> we had lunch. It was nice.
0: Was it a good choice?
2: It was a good choice, yeah. I love my research now. I work in um, clinical genomics and try to develop tests to use the, uh, the DNA that your cells release when they die to inform people if they have cancer or if they have a um, transplanted organ, if that organ is re- mm-hmm. re- rejected.
0: It's really cool. That's really insightful. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what you come up with. But also, oh, Phil, you
1: didn't mention are. one of the most exciting things about you is that Phil wants to be an astronaut. Yeah. Uh, really?
0: Yeah, no. you didn't know that. Do you want to go to Mars?
2: Uh, wherever it takes me.
0: I don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. Don't go to Mars. But you want to have a family thing on Earth. <laughs> yeah, I do want to have a can... family. I need a return <laughs> ticket. That's yeah. the. That's the. Good point. <laughs> that's so cool. Um. So I think we should probably try to preface first why we why why do we call Phil woke? And maybe we should even say what does woke mean? Yeah. I, you know and like maybe we should even so ask frequently. Phil like what
1: definition did he even find when he like looked
2: yeah.
1: it up. I, try to define woke, Phil.
2: Okay, it's been ten days I think at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it was politically aware. Aware mm-hmm. of current times and uh, and I guess um, just general, I guess, acceptance.
0: I was know. this an Urban Dictionary?
2: Maybe. Wikipedia,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Or did you just, like, a Google <laughs> it? Yeah, I, I Googled it. That's just
2: straight <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Top result. Yeah,
0: so, so I, I guess this definitely, now that I'm thinking about it, it's definitely a title that we gave you, and not necessarily the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe we should say why we think he's w- so woke. Um, Zayn, why do you think he's so woke? Well, I think that um, so I tried to
1: give you a portrait of what Phil presents as, <laughs> which has made me very
0: skeptical. nothing, nothing. Well, this isn't
1: funny. Oh uh, yeah, because I'm so judgy. I'm but um, <laughs> but uh, despite his appearance,
0: <laughs>
1: what the, none, okay. I feel I think that Phil is a really good friend, and I trust him a lot. But I I think what really impressed me is that. As someone who literally embodies almost every privilege that's out there, Phil is, I think, incredibly supportive and sensitive to others, including us, who are not advantaged in the same way that he is. And even though that it's there are things that he himself doesn't understand on a personal level, I've seen him be so supportive to his friends and to others and to be, try to be so receptive to learning about things, um, which I think is so important for the type of, social and political change that we want to see in this world that it's not that of course we we need allies um and i think that for our podcast of course since we're both women of color and tend to feature women and women of color in particular like it may seem that we're like as on one hand it's important that we're basing this conversation around marginalized voices but also like we need to i think demonstrate what does it mean for our other listeners who are um, have other forms of race and gendered privilege what they can do, and I think Phil sort of embodies, embodies that. What about you, Liz?
0: Yeah, I, I, I generally agree with that. I'm thinking about when I, um, I'll start by saying that, again, Phil, Zion and I, we all know each other because we worked in um, graduate resident, as graduate resident fellows. So we both, we know, I know Phil through the capacity of working with students and having to make dialogue across different spaces. And within that, within the first month or so, I realized or I kind of noticed and respected Phil a lot more um, because it seemed like he was so willing to meet people where they were and he was so willing to um, support people but not – but, like, let them take the charge so whatever space or whatever resources they needed, he was more – I'm gonna help I'm gonna support you doing whatever it is you need to do and not necessarily make myself the front and center of whatever it is that needed to be done. Which in the case of someone, you know, like whether it's like an ethnic um oriented um activity or something like that was like really important. I also remember this amazing story and Phil, I hope you don't mind if I retell this. <laughs> which which but, one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so many good stories. <laughs> the story of um, first of all, when I met your brother, and your brother came. Uh, okay. <laughs> and um, somehow they retold the story about how like you were at a wedding, and then um, this other person called a woman, you know, the b-word, and like you punched him. And um, <laughs> this is really
2: bad. This is a bad. Do you remember this or no? Uh, yeah. you I think it's two different stories that are going. Oh, hurt. the one. I oh, mean, as guy, also, that's are you like thinking
1: like, also the Atlantic uh, City one where he like yeah. saw? I don't know saw... if Liz knows that story. Oh, really? This is yeah, such a yeah, good story. <laughs> but um,
0: what's this Atlantic City story? Well, I've this. Or... I think
1: this is one of my favorite. Well, there's a lot of fantastic film <laughs> stories, yeah. and I'd also like to point out for our listeners, like you may notice, like just the percentage of time that we're taking up versus phil's taking up is actually very representative of a relationship phil's really good at listening and like letting others talk we never have to worry about him being one of those like mansplainers white splainers type um but the atlantic city story like i feel like it is your story to tell but part of it is like i got to hear it so many times and it's like this epic story of of heroism and, and physical violence
2: yeah well i don't yeah i wouldn't call it heroism um but uh yeah, this actually happened last summer. So it was after you uh, left, Liz. Um, all the good stuff happened after yeah. I
0: left. Yeah, sorry.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few friends and I, uh, other physicists at Cornell, they had not been to uh, Atlantic City before. <laughs> so we decided we were gonna take a a day off and go down. And, and I and, think all your oh. other friends
1: are that in that group are all international students, right? Yeah. Um, all people. Chinese, of color.
2: Brazilian, Indian. Uh huh. Yep. So we uh, we drove down. We were having a great time showing them around the different casinos, and uh, we were walking into one. It was pretty late, like three in the morning, and we just hear this loud slam. It sounded like It sounded like I was at a hockey game. Um, I just remember that, and then all of a sudden, uh, a man's voice screaming, you know, uh, just terrible things. And we look back, and a guy had thrown his girlfriend into a plate glass window of oh my the store. God. Yeah, um, and so, I don't know, Uh, I always think, like, if that was my, you know, if that was my sister, or my fiance, I'd want somebody to, you know, rush in, um, regardless of what the relationship was between the two people, so ran in there, and uh, got a little physical, got him off.
1: Um, got him off. If you want to rephrase that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, that's.
1: Okay. I wasn't
2: even thinking that. I, uh,
1: no, I wasn't either. I
2: removed him from the situation.
1: And <laughs> With his fists. <laughs> Phil also used to play football in high school. Yeah. There was
0: also no need to say how he.
2: Would... <laughs> so got, he got him off. Continue. Yeah. Continue. So, thanks, I know. <laughs> uh yeah so uh the the girl ran away um and we were just trying to preoccupy the guy uh so after a while he ran and uh one of one of my friends and i we chased him through the casinos it was like <laughs> something out of a movie while uh, while my friend was on the phone with the police we were like chasing this guy and eventually saw what Flory went up to and went up and uh ended up meeting with his girlfriend and then um Confronting him and just trying to, you know, put ourselves as a barrier between him and the, uh, the girl until the police came. And then I think the reason Zion found out was because I got a, um, a summons in the mail to go to court. Did I?
0: I don't remember. And then
2: I brought it to dinner.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so. Oh, wow. Uh, this is um, not totally not the same situation, but obviously there's a lot of um, news about um, the Brock Turner, the rape oh, case, God. and yeah. a, but um, just to focus on the two bicyclists. Yeah, Swedish like,
1: grad students, I think. The grad
0: students who walked by or bicycled by and actually were able to intervene and really help this case, um, and it's just really interesting, people who are able to care and to step in and do something really make a difference, so, wow, and I'm glad that you also came out of that unharmed Yeah, so I wouldn't
2: wouldn't advocate people getting physical with other people. And then you never know. Like, for us, it was important to try to, you know, be there until the police came. And because she had physical, she had marks of a physical struggle on her that he Mm -hmm. was arrested. But you don't always, you know, you don't always know, is he going to go back and blame the whole situation on her? And then things, Mm -hmm. you know, get even worse. So,
0: yeah. So tell me, what does it feel like to um, hear Zai and I reflect on you in the way that we did, you it's know, uh, and our, the, the way we described you? What, what is that? I'm kind of curious.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very flattering. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I never – some things that you, you mentioned, I definitely – I think I'm aware that I, I – I mean, I, I'm actively attempting. I'm trying to do certain things and other things. Um, I guess it was for me, it's just the way I was raised to, um, you know, to try to see something, say something um, type thing.
1: Yeah, do you want to get into into that more? Because I remember you talking a little bit about like um, things having to do you with your mother and your upbringing, like that, that sort of brought you to that type of consciousness.
2: Yeah, so um, I guess uh, I'll start off like when I was very. Growing up really early um, in my life, uh, I grew up in a pretty diverse uh, community. I grew up in Pennsauken, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, Um, and my mom, you know, always she worked uh, for a nonprofit as a lawyer um, in Philadelphia. And throughout our throughout my life until I went to college, she you know constantly took us um, to Philly to uh, volunteer, make sure we knew. You know just how lucky we were to have wow. certain things in life—a um, good education, a safe education. Uh, we used to go to North Philly, which you know Liz, yeah. I'm sure you remember. Bad,
0: being enough. in
2: Philly, yeah, um, and just to see the what the challenges that a lot of kids had to go through every day just to walk in the door, like, and then that contrast became even. You know, more pronounced when um, when I was around eleven, we moved to uh, rural South Jersey, um, mm-hmm. and my school was you know ninety nine percent white. It was like in the country, and yeah. um, you know really this the school system like really took care of the students, and it just became even even more apparent. Uh, but we still went to to Philly a couple of times. I'd say at least at least half a dozen times a year, maybe more, to try to to volunteer. Um, so that was my mom's um, kind of hands in raising my brother, sister, and I to, I guess, be aware of, of the kind of privilege that we had
0: in life. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, that must have been also felt like a lot of, did it ever feel like responsibility? I mean, like, once you, it's so much easier to not know. And here you are, knowing and not being able to not know what that privilege was like
2: yeah i mean i think at first it was kind of like you know my mom's first like oh we're going to go do charity and i'm kind of like you know a jerk of a 10 of an 8 year old or something <laughs> i'm not like you know i'm thinking like oh here's work but then as you know time go time went on you know, i was really like this is this is a, a good way that I can give back. Um, and, yeah, so that kind of carried me through. So uh, I actually, I had a um, an experience in high school that also showed me that even in a place with, um, I guess even especially in a place that was, you know, associated with privilege, um, there was still a lot of uh, a lot of injustice, a lot of inequality, and... I guess I was a sophomore in high school, maybe a junior, and my uh, my my best friend was black, and he was probably one of the only black kids in our in our year mm-hmm. um, of about four hundred people, and he had him and his family had lived in this one section of town uh, his whole life. Everybody there knew him, mm-hmm. um, but again, we're living, He was living in an area that was ninety nine percent white, and um, and one night he was. Moving a computer from one of his friend's house to his house in a community where everybody knew him, everybody knew his family, and yet people decided to call the state troopers on him because they saw a, yeah because they saw a black male with a computer, and I just remember like his mom calling my mom and just you know crying because this you know this shouldn't be happening in two thousand and eight or whatever year it was. Mm-hmm. Um, So yeah, it was experiences like that that kind of led me to to really, I guess, be aware that um, people, you know, say we live in a post-racial society, but even as, you know, even in the generation we're in, things still happen. Uh, And it still takes people to stand up and say, you know, that's not right.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, that's just so... So interesting, especially two thousand eight being the year that Barack Obama was elected, and people mm-hmm. love to say this post racial narrative. Yeah, we have a
1: black president now; everything's good.
0: I mean, so would you say that was around the time you started to understand what white what the privilege of of what white privilege actually was, or were you already kind of aware of it before then?
2: I would say in high school, it it really became aware. I really became aware between these um, the experience I had volunteering. Some of the experiences I saw with my friends, and then, in, uh, also in high school, my my stepfather came into my life. So mm-hmm. um, he's uh, kind of you know been my mentor through a lot of things, and um, he he was the the first um, you know minority to be a part of my family. So he's Cherokee Indian, mm-hmm. and um, he really showed me through both his personal experiences and. Through bringing me to to you know science conferences and things like this, just the the struggle that you do not see. Um, the one thing that really stood out was, uh, and it was actually he wasn't even there, but I was on a. Um, I was actually I was coming to Cornell the first time, and I was on. Uh, I was in the airport, and one thing I like to do in the airport is treat like. Over a, when there's a layover, get a cup of coffee and a copy of uh, Scientific American. Really? Just kind of sit and, yeah, and read. I know. There's
1: any doubt about that. But anyway.
2: And, uh, yeah, and I was, um, do you know, like in the airport, they have those Hudson news stands that, yeah. like everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I went in one, um, and I, I was looking in the section that I expected Scientific American, and it's, it's usually in this one section. I mm-hmm. couldn't believe they didn't have it, and so I went to the uh, the employee at the cash register and asked uh, asked him where where the magazine was, and he said, oh, it's in the men's interest section. Wow. And I was like, it's a science magazine. Uh, it's not a, <laughs> you know, I it's mean... Not Playboy. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> just, it's I was so, like, blown away, and that's something that, you know, that's not talked about. Nobody ever talks about where the magazines sit. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But for, you know, for a, a girl um, who's growing up and aspiring to be a scientist and walking in there and having to reach in the, the men's interest shelf to pick up Gross. the magazine. I know. Yeah.
1: Like, just thinking about, like, what that, like, all the magazines that's going to be next to and, like, feeling so <laughs> alienated. Right, Yeah.
2: <laughs> And oh, they're that's covering up like, their cleavage. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: So, uh, so yeah. Um, it really, the, just, I guess, the, you know, the, the older I get, the more and more apparent it becomes uh, in different ways, in more subtle ways that I think are almost worse because they're the ones that don't get mentioned.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: not something you could easily resolve by, like, chasing a guy through a casino right, and,
1: yeah. and punching
0: him. <laughs> are people... Are, is, people don't really believe you and so one thing that I imagine you come across a lot is you are woke right you are aware now which is I guess what it means to be woke you're not sleeping and what is it like when you're in a sphere or you're in a room of other and I'm just going to narrow it down to other white men who are not woke you know, and so obviously, you know, like you're around and people think you, you get it, you know, you're in the club, so to speak. What is that like? And like, do you ever try to say something when those little moments happen? Uh,
2: Does it yes. make sense what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think, um, I think these issues, if, if you're in a group of all white men, these issues don't really get brought up as much. Hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's at least the people that I choose to hang out with, it's not like they're actively, you know, being racist or sexist. But we don't really, I would say, that it doesn't really become a discussion unless somebody wants to make it um, a discussion. Now, in terms of things like, you know, some some egregious act that's happening, um, when I was in Atlantic City, I was with, you know, three of my male friends, and in terms of... Uh, the graduate school community, even though they're international students, they're also people who you know tend to have privilege, I guess within the intellectual community um, mm-hmm. and and they you know they reacted the same way I did. There's you know for I think a lot of things that are that are more um, again, I guess more egregious, uh, like domestic violence, um, people. Even if you have privilege, they're going to stand up and say something. At least I would hope so. Um, but it, but that's the, that's the people that I tend to be
1: around. So you end up sort of preaching to the choir? Yeah,
2: maybe. I think so. Um, mm-hmm. There's sometimes, I, I guess, like my, my friends were really surprised that when I told them this magazine story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes some people don't see an issue with that. They just think like, oh well, you know, it's that person's store, and they, they just put it there. It's it didn't really mean anything. I would say, mm-hmm. um, and so then you can take that opportunity to say like, no, that's you know that's not right because why should you know? I think a lot of men would have a, have a real problem reaching in the women's interest section to pick up their science magazine. I think
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and so and it could, seems like yeah. there's yeah. Um, on the one hand, like something like the casino story makes a great anecdote, but like there's so many like little ways. That's not just about standing up for big moments, but it's about being attentive to your environments and trying to think from a different perspective how, how, how like issues of access are around us all the time. And these barriers um, are around us in so many smaller ways that aren't as dramatic.
0: Liz? No, that's exactly what I was thinking about, because um, I'm... I think I I can kind of relate because there are some ways in which I kind of shield myself from some microaggressions by the people that I choose to be around or I choose to let into my inner circle versus people who I just deal with because I have to, but really they kind of say some sexist or racist things and I just kind of let it go because I need, you know, like there may be a boss or someone that I need something I need that support from, but I don't need them to be my best friend. So you kind of, like, deal with it. And I wonder, in the moments where you're not actually, let's say, associating with your best friends, but you may be in a group of people who may think it's, like, certain norms are okay. Um, like, do you have any ever have any examples of times where you actually did say something to try to address, like, a... Um, some sort of discrimination or something that you saw happening, or a difference of treatment between people.
2: But one that that is, you're saying that is kind of more like a subtle issue that maybe yeah. people weren't aware of.
0: But something that you kind of were able to speak about, or say, like as a as a white well, just to say. And I'm also asking because there are often times where it seems like it's harder for like, I'm just going to use racism. It's harder for me as a black woman to talk about racism than it is for like a white guy to point out the exact same thing Um, because I'm not always seen as being very objective. And I don't know, or just like there's more credibility given to, to other people. And I'm kind of curious if you've ever, if there ever been times in your, like academic career, um, where you've kind of seen things happening and thought to speak to a colleague or something else about the way people were treated.
2: Yeah, so I think I can speak to um, one thing that uh, happens in physics a lot is that I think, at least with um, with the grad students, I, I Again, and it's maybe the people that I choose to hang out with. There's Mm not, um, there's never. I would say overt sexism, but I think everyone's aware that there's a huge gender gap in physics. I think in our year we may have, you know, four um, female grad students and something like twenty seven male grad students. Mm
0: -hmm. In your year.
2: In my year, yeah.
0: Whoa. And one of them. One of them's leaving. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. We have a large. uh, We have a pretty large group but mm-hmm. it's usually in the 30s i think oh, okay. for physics department okay. um but uh yeah and i think that's a certain example because you also have um you have different cultures uh, so you have p- people think that they can say or act in ways that they don't view as sexist um, that they think is just you know the way it is and Uh, I think in those times, it's important to, you know, either take them aside, especially if it's, you know, an international student who may not know Mm -hmm. the, the norms. Um, But regardless, just to say, you know, that isn't, that isn't right or fair um, to this person, especially when, you know, there is such a a gender gap and there is such a struggle. Um, And I I will say, I, I definitely get your point, Liz. I think in the cases like that, it is tougher for women in the physics department to stand up and say something because then they're seen as, you know, complaining about mm-hmm. how they're treated. And then I think um, the person who has that action has some kind of, they feel like they don't want to give in to that um, yeah. To that demand, in their view, but
0: yeah. I also like that you're alluding to um, the fact that there's there's even more variables, right? So you're also talking about not only um, a gender di- gender divide, but also international versus domestic, and that there could also be other cultural implications as to why certain things happen and how. I um, mean, we also had an episode a few maybe a month or so ago about how about the international students being the silent majority and how actually a lot of graduate departments are filled with international students, but we don't really talk about that or Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: doesn't really reflect in the conversations that we have. So it's very interesting.
1: I was also wondering, so um, you mentioned your stepdad, and we had the privilege of having your dad do this fantastic presentation on both science and um, he was a, a basket weave and Cherokee basket weaving. Yes. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that because I think it's really interesting that often we think of science as being this very this domain which is implicitly gendered. So we talked about the implicit masculinity of the way the science is treated, but also that is often seen as this white and Western construct. But your your dad, I think, was like maybe one of the first. Um, uh, American Indian directors of a science museum or something like that, or like. Yeah, he's
2: uh he's at a lot of a lot of first. He's a really impressive mm-hmm. guy. So, he grew up um, between Rhode Island and Oklahoma, um, between uh, cities and reservations, and he was you know very gifted um, as a student and um, ended up I think starting college when he was something like fifteen Damn. or something like that, uh, and so he's you know just. He just has an amazing life, amazing stories. He's a he's a storyteller, so that's, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but he takes this view of... Uh, so I guess I can describe a little bit about what the basket weave was. Um, the Cherokee basket is special because it's uh, double-walled. Um, they're called sparrow baskets to, to kind of um, emulate the, the nest that a sparrow makes. And so they... Um, so as he tells a, a story, he tries to tie that into science and explain how the walls um, have a certain significance in Cherokee culture, but how that they also have a certain mathematical significance, mm. how the structure um, of the basket and the way it's held together under tension alone describes both the forces within the basket, but also the the kind of um, the metaphor of. of Tension and and balance uh, within life.
1: Hmm. And it was like, I have to say, I think pretty much like the best talk that we had in beta. It was like absolutely amazing. i you liked it. Yeah. I know. And, and then also, I
0: like, missed it. I'm really
1: sad. Oh, uh, it, yeah. it was so fantastic. And then, what was also great, I got to have dinner with him and we are talking about Dungeons and Dragons. It <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> used to be a dungeon
2: mess. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Super cool.
2: But yeah, so he kind of, and like I said before, he was one of the people that first kind of made me, and this was in high school, so this was before I would consider myself as even being a foot, have my foot in the door of the scientific community, but understanding how um, privilege works within science and how politics works within science. And um, when I when I was a junior or senior in... Um, in college at Villanova, I, we went to the um, AAAS conference, the um, American Association for the Advancement of Science.
0: I want to go there one day. Okay. Oh, it's really
2: cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we went to, they had a session on, um, I don't remember what the exact title was, but it was on uh, teaching, teaching science um, on American Indian reservations. And so my stepdad was a moderator because he's done a lot both in science and in education. His, um, for instance, he had a, a, team that kind of wrote the curriculum on how the world t- talks and teaches about um, September eleventh, mm-hmm. called Beyond Blame. Um, and so they, so they kind of got him as a moderator. So I went to go sit in and, and hear you know what, what education was like on these reservations. And this wasn't like middle school education. This was at the level of what was supposed to be community college. So on a lot of these reservations, they have tribal colleges. Um, they're supposed to be two-year programs that get the students who are, I guess, talented enough um, to leave the reservation to uh, go to a four-year college. And the state of science of on, the res- on these reservations is just terrible. And it's not because the people aren't passionate, because the people... Who do teach this, um, you know, they're profess- their professors, they're people with PhDs, and they take extremely low salaries in order to do what mm-hmm. they think is right in-, in securing this idea that everybody deserves, um, you know, a seat at the scientific table. So, you know, like they would have REUs, um, so that's a research experience for undergraduates, right, yeah. where these students who are just from tribal colleges would come. And their project for the summer was something like fixing fences um, to like herd buffalo. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they they lacked the resources to show, you know, um, to talk about it from any kind of engineering point of view, or uh, an ecological point of view, um, anything like this. And so it was around then I started to try to. Um, so one thing I kind of do in my spare time is I try to write curriculum. Uh, or like little experiments that could be distributed to low-income communities um, that could be used, or you could use, um, you know, cheap or easily accessible materials. Oh,
0: that's such a neat idea. Mm -hmm. Where do you post them? Where do you keep them?
2: Uh, I haven't posted them yet, but I'm gonna post them. I have a website that people can go to and just download them. What's the the website? Yeah, we should post it
1: in the. Uh, yeah,
2: philipburnham dot <laughs> no,
1: Philip. yeah. com. <laughs> P- not the third dot com. theory <laughs> difficulty. Yeah.
2: But yeah, I will. I will put them up, and the goal is just that every. Um, the goal originally, when I had uh, a little bit more time, was to <laughs> to try to get um, corporations to to fund these kits. I I got really inspired when I was in college by this. Uh, MIT's $100 laptop program. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have heard about that. Um, so their, their idea was that anybody can go on their website and sponsor for $100 a laptop to go to um, underprivileged school. Mm. Uh, any, wow. They had all lo- locations around the world. And so I was trying to work off that model. Can you do a, a semester's worth of activities for a classroom for $100 or something?
0: That is Great such event. a cool idea. I think we should talk about this afterwards. I, yeah, <laughs> like now my wheels are turning. That's a really interesting and really, really important to do. I'm actually tutoring, um, a a high school student right now, and um, I remember he he w- he wouldn't talk to me, you know, because he's he's like a pre he's he's on the cusp. He's like eighth grade going to ninth grade, I think, and. Um, he would just say, yeah, sure, uh-huh. Like, he just wasn't – he was doing what I asked him to do, but he wasn't really giving me much, and I was really trying. And then one day, he just starts talking, and he starts talking about what he's interested in and sports and and all this stuff. And then he talks about sports medicine, and then he goes, oh, the ACT. Do I have to take the ACT? What is that like? Um, do they take notes in college? And I'm looking at him like, uh, yeah. There's tons of notes in college, and, mm-hmm. and he, as he started talking about what he was interested in, in my head, I'm going, oh my goodness, you should probably be an engineer, and it wasn't even on his brain. It wasn't on his head. like He wasn't thinking about it, and so my thing is, great, I have, ex- I have access to, the, to him. I can bring him resources, and I didn't even know what to do. I know all about the field, but I know about it from this research, um, have a million dollar laser, you know at my when kind of way. I didn't know how to try to translate that into something that was on his level and also something that he could do. And so I think resources like what you're talking about is exactly what needs to happen.
1: So we've had a a question from one of my friends, a listener who's also in physics, but he was asking what he was, I guess sometimes because of the podcast, it's helped to make, um, both of us prominent to people we know as people who want to talk about issues of social justice. Um, and we try to make it um, as accessible as possible because we come to it for very different uh, levels of experience, different, uh, both formal and informal, experiential, and so forth. And so sometimes we do have friends who come and ask us, like, oh, well, is this thing a racist thing? Like, what should I do? And one of my uh, this friend in science, um, asked, like, well, what can I do as a guy in science to make my department more hospitable to women. Uh, like what can, what, what can he do to be a good ally uh, to women in the field? Cause he knows it's an issue, but like, yeah. Um, and I thought that would be a good thing, conversation to have with Phil and with, with the rest of us. Like what yeah. does it look like to be an ally? And how do you, how, do, how does someone just as on the level of being a graduate student where we don't yet quite have, like, it's not like we're the chair of the department, so we don't have access to the type of funds needed to, like, make a program or think like that. Like, how do we try to make change at our level?
2: So I think my kind of philosophy with this um, is personally, I try to take, and this kind of goes back to what Liz was saying about taking the lead versus just being a, su- a support. Um, I try to take the lead when it comes to early childhood education because that's something I personally feel extremely, extremely strong about that if you inspire kids and you get them the resources they need early in life, then you open a lot of doors um, and you can kind of make a more equal space. Um, there will th- there are things that I'm a part of where I won't try to be in the foreground of because I don't really think it's my place. So for mm-hmm. instance, um, one of my... Uh, really, really good friends here, Hal She, he's the president of um, OSTEM, so out in STEM, so for uh, LGBTQ students, and whenever that organization needs something, um, I'll, you know, I'll be there, and he knows that, Uh, but I don't feel it's necessarily my place, even though they're very accepting of allies to try to take a leadership role in an organization where I've no idea what it's like to be um, to be a gay scientist. Uh, the same goes for, um, so they're kind of, uh, there's um, an effort um, by some women across different fields, but particularly in physics, to kind of reinstate the women in physics uh, society on campus. And so again, um, I was at their barbecue last, this past weekend, and i um, um, I'm always happy to have conversations or put up flyers or, you know, whatever the leaders in that organization need me to do. But again, I don't know what the feeling is to be a, to be a woman in science. Um, so I'd rather listen and take a secondary seat um, than trying to lead an organization. I think there's a lot of mistrust be, behind, uh, you know, white um Heterosexual upper middle class men.
0: See, you're bleeding. so woke. You're
1: like, <laughs> I mean, you just know. <laughs> uh,
2: but but yeah, yeah, it's but... very
1: true. Like, unfortunately, I don't know if some of our listeners are recognizing. Like, Hugo Schweizer is this infamous uh, white straight male, like, like professional feminist, and like he makes a lot of money and like does a lot of speaking deals. But then it turned out like he has this whole abusive past of like abusing ex girlfriends, sleeping with undergraduate women, and like there's this sort of thing that like, because I think that there's also this flip side that because it's unfortunately not very common for people with privilege to stand up, that for some people they can make it a professional pathway and they end up like, as Phil was saying, like where he, where Phil tries to like, make sure that he doesn't take away the limelight from other people. Sometimes people, you know, they get, they get it such a, they get a cookie for just doing the good thing and then they end up like making that their career and maybe shutting out other people and ugh, Hugo Schweizer is really gross, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: I will say it took me a little bit to get to that point of understanding because, for instance, when I first came to Cornell, kind of coming off of um, being at this AAAS conference and, and hearing about the kind of situation with science education in tribal colleges, I was really trying to push uh, to lead an effort to kind of do something where I could lead things on, in, on different reservations um, in New York State Mm-hmm. And I was talking to faculty and who were all part of the American Indian Studies, and they seemed in, inspired in a way by what I wanted to do, but it was always kind of like, oh, well, you should talk to um, ACES, which is, you know, a, a club on campus or something like this. Um, and I didn't understand it at first. I was kind of like, you know, like, but I care about this mm-hmm. and I, w- I want to make this happen.
0: Oh, wait, say um, that again? Say that again? What? Yes.
2: No, so it's just, like, the the, uh, the clubs, uh, so the people who I was talking to... Who, no, I mean,
0: so many sorry. people will say, but I care about this. This is important. Why can't I be in the front? And yeah, like, one way that people describe
1: is like, white savior complex. Right, right,
2: exactly. So that's, I think, sorry, you know... I heard you. I just... <laughs> oh, up. no, that's me, not grasping the situation that's one of my faults <laughs> but um, yeah I think you see it a lot now with like people are pretty critical of the of med students uh, or pre-med students who will who will go overseas for like seven days so they can take pictures in mm-hmm. a village and then mm-hmm. come back here right without really doing any any change um but I yeah I don't know I think that that took me a little while to understand that that just because I care about something doesn't mean it's right for me to, to lead that. Because um, there are people who are, part of, who, are, who are more part of that system who can lead more effectively. And you have to put your, like you said, you have to put your ego aside um, to get things accomplished.
0: Mm-hmm. And so how did you understand? Was that just through time and reflection? Or did you have some conversations with other people that helped you reach this conclusion?
2: Um, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, I think it was just, it was like a lot of, like, frustration, frustration, just kept, like, <laughs> building up. And then it was just like, you know what, there's definitely a reason behind this. It's not just like, I mean, for a second, I was like, "Am I an unlikable person?" <laughs> <first> no, <laughs> no. Uh, but no, Philip the Third. Yeah, no way. Thank you, <laughs> but um, yeah, I know. Uh, it took. It, I'd say it took like two years, two and a half years for me to mm-hmm. to understand that pushing for something that I wasn't a part of, even though I cared about, was the wrong way to go about it. It's not to say that you can't stand up and. And you know, be an be an active um, supporter for change, but the the way you go about it has to be. I think you have to be mindful of your of your spot.
1: Yeah, and I think I really appreciate that you you said that it took like it took so long. Like I think for all of us, sometimes it's very it's very easy for us to be like um, to jump on people when they don't know the right terminology or like where they don't have they're not at the right place ideologi- ideologically. But for all of us. The process of coming to a type of wokeness or understanding is a long process. It's not just simply like like a a step-by-step thing that you just like read and then you understand. It acts, like this understanding has to happen on a deeper, deeper level and it becomes, I think, more fulfilling when we can work it out for ourselves, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I was gonna say that like um, as a friend, one thing I've seen, like the way that Phil does a type of support is like all these like little like on the ground things that you need for activism, like having someone Booking rooms, finding spaces for events to happen, mm-hmm. putting up posters. Like there's these are all like the unglamorous grunt work things, but like I've noticed that you're you're good about helping out with that sort of thing. Like Thanks. these aren't things that like look makes you look like a glamorous leader, but these are things that need to be done by people in the community. And this is the way that when we have positions of privilege and we shouldn't be taking the lead, like this is some way that we can help to support our friends. Yeah.
0: I have a random question. What would you say, Phil, what would you say to the non-woke white person? Because I'm kind of, like, trying to reflect on what you're saying, and it sounds like you put in a lot of work and a lot of thought into things, Uh and it seems like it would be so much easier to not put any thought into it at all. Like, why? Why bother? And, like, I guess, what is it? Like, why bother? Why why bother?
2: Um... I just think I don't know. I think I've always just felt that every you know everyone's the same. Every everybody should be treated the same. Um, everyone deserves the same things in life, out of life, and I I guess for me it's always been hard to understand why people would think any differently than that. Um, and I'd say if if you feel that if you feel the same way that you have a responsibility to try to. Um, create that world. I would just say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in terms of people who don't who, you know, are actively jerks
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> have a more aggressive stance.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, like if they don't want to hear it's so hard to you can't make it force them. Um, I was gonna say that a friend of mine who's a woman of color instructor just recently had a problem with like these very privileged straight white male students and one of them missed I think ten classes and was late to the other twelve and then he was trying to and she should have failed she could have failed him but she gave him a D. But he tried to argue his way up to a B minus so he can get the major. And one of the things that he said in his defense was like, Oh, it's just been a really hard first semester for me. The president of my frat um, sexually to someone and it's been so hard because everyone on campus like has been vilifying us and it's like wow so you want to you think that you should get your grade raised from a D to a B minus because your friend raped someone yeah. like this uh.
2: that frat's our next door neighbor
0: uh. <laughs> and to yeah, think so, someone thought yeah. you were a frat boy
2: no I know it's, uh, sorry guys sorry. okay it's it's so, so for the
0: list it's a funny story um, uh, all GRFs have to be rounds I think everyone has in their respective college they may have had RA's And uh, apparently this guy came up to Phil and asked him some question as if he were, or, like, revealed some information that he probably wouldn't have if he'd known he was an RA, but he thought he was a a frat boy (laughs) or something. And you had to tell him, no, like, I'm not a frat person, and also you can't do what you're doing, (laughs) or whatever it was. And I can't remember.
2: Uh, they were, They wanted me to just let them into beta. To, um, yeah, they thought to you were a bro, and you're like, no.
1: Yeah. I'm not a bro. I no look like bro. a bro, but...
2: They even no. did the, but bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's just so, Phil is Phil yeah. retelling the story, and then he kind of, he says it, and then he kind of reflects and goes, well, I guess I looked a little fratty that night. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we were, like, this is really funny. I'm like, how can you just look a little fratty? <laughs> but, um...
1: And then yeah. even there was a more recent incident with, like, the uh, guys trying to hide the paint party or something that were trying to hide in the airlock.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was right <laughs> next to Yeah, so it was the airlock that's on the on south side. We by, just call them airlocks now. Yeah, that's, did I start that? Yeah, but that's the then
1: when I was talking to other people. Like, yeah, it's the airlock now.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, the space between the, the two doors to get into the yeah. south side archway. I agree I, with
0: this naming. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's cool
2: yeah but i like heard it heard noise one night and i walked out and there's just like 12 frat brothers crammed into that space like no shirts they were having a paint party
0: oh and they're frat and then
2: the cops got called so they wanted to use the beta to hide
1: <laughs> but bro <laughs> help bro out <laughs> man i know it's depressing bro me. bro <laughs>
0: oh. Well, Phil, it has been a wonderful time catching up with you in a way and also talking with you. I want to thank you for sharing so much Mm -hmm. because in a way, I mean, obviously you're just being yourself, but um, as per usual, you know, you don't have to. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on our podcast. Actually, our first male guest and... Um, after the hour, I'm so convinced you're the wokest white guy I know. <laughs> and, um, oh, one more thing I wanted to ask you, and I, Zion may have a question for you as well, mm-hmm. but, um, thinking forward, what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to remain in the, the academy? And if so, what are some things you think you would carry with you? Like, how would you try to, or envision incorporating, um, for lack of a better term, your wokeness into your scholarship um, <laughs> and your outreach?
2: You're saying if I want to stay in academia? Or yeah,
0: so that's one question. Okay.
2: So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I've always, um, ever since college, I knew that whatever I pursued um, in terms of science in the future, I want to, I want to be part of policy change. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a few issues because I work in genomics, I feel closer to these issues that are, uh, kind of relevant right now, especially in the American Indian community. Um, so, uh, one thing is like they won't, uh, a lot of American Indians will not take, um, do genomic testing, um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons that, you know, stem from, uh, mistrust of the system, but as a, just an example, um, I guess a hundred years ago or so, they had this thing called the the Dawes Roll, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. they tried to say, um, if you're, you know, if you have this much um, American Indian blood, based on whatever tribe you were in, that that's what made you, um, an American Indian, and that's what allowed you to have certain privileges from the government, and so in some uh, in some tribes, for instance, that blood quanta they called it is uh, one grandparent. So it's twenty five percent because this was done before the field of genomics had even started, right. and um, but now it's known that you know you don't actually have to get twenty five percent of your DNA from each grandparent, uh, just the way that the that um, sexual reproduction happens, you you might wind up with twenty two percent from your maternal grandmother and twenty eight percent from your maternal grandfather, hmm. and so. It becomes this case of well, if all of a sudden, even though my grandmother was Cherokee Indian, if she really only gave me twenty two percent of my DNA, then what happens? Can the government take away, um, you know, my rights? And uh, that's a really scary thing. And there's nothing in place right now that that stops the that stops the government from stepping in and do mm-hmm. that. So that's one thing I'm uh, I'm looking into and hoping to be a part of to. Um, at least get the message out, if not try to help um, be part of writing the legislation.
1: That'd be really cool. Do you know the, do you know the name so Kim, Kim TallBear? Oh,
2: uh, yeah. That's
1: yeah. That's from. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. I was just so proud. On, on, I was following her on Twitter, and then all of a sudden like, she followed me back. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> her part She works, she's an indigenous feminist who's at the University of Alberta right now, and she works a lot on issues of DNA. and No, her work is super cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so whatever,
2: you know, whatever I can um, just just be a part of in terms of, I like to make it something that is in my field. So, for instance, physics education or mm-hmm. um, genomics rights, something like
0: that. So do you think you would go more into policy rather than going the professor route?
2: Um, Where
0: does astronaut policy? Or your soul. <laughs> thing yeah. thing. Or the astronaut. Just oh yeah. all together.
2: I prefer the astronaut, but... Seeing as how that's uh, statistically not very uh, likely, um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think the longer I spend in grad school, the the less sure I, I am of what the next step's going to be. Um, but I think regardless of where that is, there's chances to to try to make science like just a, a more more fair, more equal place. Whether that's you know being uh, being a faculty member and making sure that. You know your your lab is not biased towards hiring certain grad students by um, by background or by culture or something like that or um, you know being going into a, a startup company starting uh, a business and, and making sure that you have um, res- corporate responsibility in terms of of who you donate and how you. Uh, how you you bring people in and just make the workplace um,
0: thank you Phil thank you for being on the podcast it's awesome as per usual I'm going to miss getting your group text about hey
1: guys I just found a really cool spider on the floor (laughs) 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 I'll
2: still find it's been a pleasure being your friends
1: even though you did not show us around the street i Oh, so. I know, at least I got to see the Cornell Sicella for Fighter for the film, but it
0: would have been really awesome to see guitar, right? yeah. Yeah. So that's our podcast. As usual, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook under the EastMeaders Podcast. Please like, rate, and review. That helps us out a lot. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer on the show or anything like that, you can email us at lizandzine, so our names, at gmail.com. Send us a message on Facebook. Send us a message on Facebook. And otherwise, we'll see you at our next episode. Take care.